Welcome to the DCCC Youth Podcast. This podcast is from our series on the New Testament. It features teaching on the book of James. Okay, we ready? Is everyone ready? You're on your last, your last white paper, right? There's, there Turn to the book of James, which is funny. No, no. Oh, Stephanie, yes. There are two people here who are in West Virginia this summer. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was in West Virginia, actually. In heart. Not with us. <laughs> no, actually, no. Now, there are lots of things that happen in West Virginia, but there was one day we were supposed to go rappelling off of a cliff. You guys know what rappelling is, right? Well, we went on the ropes course. Yeah. We wanted to pee off the cliff. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> that never happened. Um, Rachel was on the horses. Shoot. It's like every man's dream, man. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? No, it's true, man. So, anyway, we go <laughs> Moving on. There you go. We go all the way out to... We go all the way out to the cliff and we will hike out there and whatever and start training. So we have to go back. We do a ropes course instead, which... In which I learned that everyone in our youth group that went on that trip is a pansy. <laughs> and I wish April were here. I so wish April were here. Because she was the funniest. She... she as we were going to go on the cliff, she was like, I, I thought she was going to pass out. We were out there. She's so afraid of heights. And she said she was going to do it, but they're like setting up this stuff, and she's just like... Maybe she's just sleeping. She's like praying. <laughs> and then they're like... And then there's thunder, and they're like, oh, we have to turn back. And she was like... <laughs> and so we did the ropes course instead, which was actually far worse. Because in the ropes course... It's really high up in the trees, and you're up there. Like, we're probably, you go down, like, maybe two or three times, and it takes, like, 30 seconds, but it's way higher. We go into, like, a 150-foot cliff, and then they tie stuff to trees, and then you, you, you know, like, slowly, slowly lower yourself down the cliff. Okay. Oh, you're going down, up Yeah. And then, of course, you have to do all kinds of, like, weird ladders and stuff like that. And April spent half of her time doing this. <laughs> and then after about 20 minutes we got her to open her eyes <laughs> and we actually got to do some stuff but no one except for Diane and I would go up to the upper level because there's like a lower one it's like 25 feet and the upper level is like 35 feet which doesn't seem that high when you say 25 feet but when you're up there it seems a lot higher right Ben? the platforms are shaking <laughs> and the platforms are shaking <laughs> As soon as they offered to let anyone down, everyone went down. Really? <laughs> yes. Except for... You know, I could have gone on the third level with the mysterious... Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. She was on the third level, too, but then she had mysterious back pain. Maybe it's a piece of her pain. So, Diane and I... <laughs> Diane and I, we were up there the longest. Stephanie had to go down. And we did this one where it was like... I feel like they always had this... No, 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 that's, that's the zip line. It was like this, uh, I don't know how even to describe it. It's the, the, the ropes where it's like all squares. It's just like three big ropes and there's ropes in between. I always think of pirate ships when I see it. Or maybe it's because of like Chuck E. Cheese's or something they have these. But anyway, it was stretched across sideways. And basically the whole point was what you had to do is crawl across, but um, 
when you were doing so, the thing was so shaky, it was ridiculous. Like, you would go, it took me like 20 minutes to get across this thing, and um, you would start to go, and you'd like tip this way, and you'd try and compensate, and then you'd tri- tip the other way, and you just, it took forever, and it was really painful. Like, my knees were all scraped up, and it was just ropes and stuff. But you were always trying to stay in the middle really, really hard, and it was really, really difficult. And, believe it or not, this actually ties into what we're talking about today. Because... Oh, remember when Rachel was like, but when you screw up, you're not falling toward the ground, the ground's coming toward you. (laughs) And, actually, I wanted to say, it was really funny, because Diane was yelling the entire time. She's like, help! Help! Only interspersed with a lot of curse words. (laughs) She was like, ultra-conservative place. And she was like, cussing at the top of her lungs and like, Diane, stop it. <laughs> but, um, so, you're really struggling, and we're talking about the, the book of James, the letter written by James, uh, as opposed to like Timothy was written to Timothy. And the reason that I bring this whole thing up, and that whole thing, is it was really hard to stay in the middle. And this is kind of, uh, when we talk about James, you're going to see that this is like the exact opposite of the stuff that we covered in Paul in a lot of ways. Paul is really strong about the gospel is that you don't work for your salvation. you got to just drop that. Like, um, you can't earn salvation. James is like the other side of that. He says, yeah, the gospel is that you can't work for your salvation. But his emphasis is, if you are saved, you will have works. We talked about this a little bit um, last time we didn't do 30-hour famine on Friday. And First John is really similar. So James really emphasizes... Uh, that if you work, or if you have salvation, you will have works. A tree bears fruit, uh, basically is what he says. And just to clear up again, we talked about this in John, and we've said it before, there's, uh, there's a really small difference, and yet a really big difference between, like, you do works, and then that's what allows you to keep your salvation, or what gets you salvation, or you have salvation, and it means you get works. Like, some people might look at it and be like, oh, that's basically the same. You're just describing it a little differently. But when it comes to the gospel, it's it's like completely opposite. Like, your works come from a change in your heart. And then it enables you to do those things that that please God, that are good, um, versus you're actually earning your salvation. So James is the other side. And um, I read a good quote this week by, I'm familiar with him, and Rachel probably is too, but you guys aren't, so his name's going to be really funny. There's this guy who comments uh-huh. on Romans a lot. He's this biblical scholar named Doug Moo. I love reading his books. His last name is Moo. I saw it. M-O-O. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, actually, we had a friend in China who met him once in like Portugal and didn't know who he was. He like made fun of his name. Did you know this? Ethan Fry made fun of his name to his face. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, he has a great comment on this. And basically, what he said was that there are times, there are different times in the life of the church that Paul is going to be more important and there's different times that James is going to be more important. Now, around the time of Martin Luther, we talked about Luther and everything that was going on there, where really a lot of people were thinking, basically you're working for your salvation. You could pay to get salvation through indulgences. You get a piece of paper and say, you get this much time off of purgatory or you can go to heaven or whatever. And so, for a a long time, and especially during that time, Paul was really, people would go to Paul for, you know what, you can't earn your salvation because that was so important. But you know, after that, in like the 1700s, 
and even earlier on in the, the early Middle Ages, really it was the exact opposite problem. That people were happy where they were. You can't earn your salvation. So, you know, just do whatever. And to a certain extent, Luther kind of struggled with this too, because he was like, we're all sinners, so let's just get drunk. Um, he, his, um, his rule about drinking was, uh, I forget exactly what this was, like the, the steins, the mugs that they used, they had like five different uh, finger holes in them. And his rule was when he couldn't get his fingers in there anymore, he couldn't remember how to count to five, that was time to stop drinking. Um, so he kind of went the opposite way. And so there's certain times in the life of the church where Paul is more important and certain times where James is more important. Now, obviously, how we've been talking, and I think where we are today, Paul is what we need where people are, are really, you know, there are lots of people who are socially active. They want to help people. And I think our tendency now is that we are good people. We can earn our salvation. So we emphasize Paul a lot. And so we kind of forget James. And he has a lot to say to us, too. Because I think sometimes, um, whereas culture, our culture as a whole, it needs Paul in the gospel, that you can't work for your salvation. I think sometimes as Christians, we need James where he reminds us that, you know what, you're not just the same as everyone else. If you're saved, you will have good works. And so that's what James is about. Um, just to summarize really quickly. And now, the reason I brought up that story is that it's really hard to stay in the middle. Just like when I was on that netting stuff, and I was always falling from one side to the other, it's really easy to overcompensate and like just fall completely on the other side. And so it's really kind of a tight tightrope walk too to keep emphasizing you know what I understand that I cannot be more pleasing to God than I already am because Jesus is what makes me pleasing to God yet at the same time I can do things that please God so he'll never look at me and love me more than he does when I'm in Jesus Christ but at the same time I can do things that are good that please him and I should have good works and I should be different and so it's like that tightrope walk it's really easy to fall on either side um, so, just to talk about some details from the book, um, who is James? There's <laughs> there, because it just says James. It's kind of hard. There's a bunch of Jameses in the Bible. Um, the son of Zebedee. That's uh, one that it could be. Well, that's a really great name. The son of Alphaeus. Um, that is also a great name. <laughs> Alphaeus Zebedee. The father of Judas, not Judas Iscariot. These are all different James that are mentioned in the Bible. And then there's James, the half-brother of Jesus. And this is basically what everyone settles on for who wrote this. Now, half-brother, this means that, um, obviously, if you believe in Mary being a virgin and conceiving Jesus by the Holy Spirit, um, that means that any children that she has afterwards with Joseph would be Jesus' half-brothers and half-sisters. Because Jesus didn't really have a father, at least... Uh, not in the traditional way of thinking of it. Um, so James, uh, James is probably this James is probably Jesus' half brother. We see this because he's a leader in the church, and also um, a lot of things that he says uh, the, that's written in the book of James are very similar similar to a speech that James, the half brother of Jesus, makes in Acts 15. A lot of things are really similar. So most people look at this and say it's probably the half brother of Jesus. Now Catholics would disagree with us on this because they don't believe that Jesus had any brothers or sisters because they believe that Mary was a virgin until the day she was taken to heaven. I don't so. believe that she didn't actually die. Yeah, exactly. She was assumed to heaven. She didn't die. And she also remained a virgin her whole life. So 
they would disagree with us on this um, but <laughs> the point is a relation to Jesus um, who is this written to? it was written to all Jewish Christians it says to the 12 tribes scattered throughout the nation so he's really addressing this to all the Jewish Christians in the world especially we say Jewish because of the 12 tribes thing 12 tribes of Israel it applies to other people but he's specifically Paul is really like the apostle to the Gentiles to the non-Jewish people and we see this in a lot of letters he writes but Peter and James they really focus more on the Jewish people um so it definitely has a lot to say to us today, though. So the purpose of the book is to encourage people to live out their words, or their confession. If you say that you're a Christian, live it. Is basically his whole point here, especially in the community of Christians. He talks a lot about favoritism, about how there's favoritism going on in churches, and that's wrong. He says if you say you're a Christian, show that your heart is transformed. That song is saying holiness, holiness. It's what I long for. It's what I need. Take my mind, transform it. Um, like, change us. It says you, you should be changed. If you're looking, as uh, actually uh, Reverend Davy just preached about in First John, if you say you love God, but you don't follow his commandments, you're a liar. That's what John says. So uh, let's be changed. You can't just remain the same. Some important things in here. A lot of this book looks... It reads a lot like Proverbs. If you like to read Proverbs, it, he has a lot of like pithy wisdom, I guess, and it, uh, easy things to pull out and quote in Jesus' teaching. It, it, there's like general. He has a lot of general principles that are, are true, um, but he doesn't necessarily say like Paul. I say you should do this, you know, and then have a lot of theology and stuff. It's really like teaching about how to live. A lot of it. It's, there's a lot about trials and maturity, especially in chapter one. Talks about, he says, Consider pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, for the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And that's, that's like a crazy verse, you know? <laughs> like, uh, I think I mentioned this last time I preached. It's, it's us, that seems crazy. You know, be joyful when you have trials. Why? Because it makes you better, it makes you more like Jesus. And that's how he sets the stage for his entire book to say, Let's be more like Jesus, even in trials. That's a good thing. And Faith and Works, that's chapter 2. Speech and Spirituality, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. And then the theme is Living Out the Faith. You want me to go back to the last one? Sorry, kind of. Speech and Spirituality. <coughs> the Bible. If you could turn with me to James chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. But before we do so, um, just another thing. I brought this up uh, when we were setting First John because we kind of jumped in in the middle there, too. One thing uh, that you should always do when you're studying the Bible um, is, like, we're starting in at chapter 3. And I, I used the example last time. Let's say I am writing to Jesse. I write Jesse an email or a letter. He's like, oh, forget this. I'm just going to start in the middle. And you never do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's, it's purely <laughs> hypothetical anyway, because every email I send Jesse is like a sentence long. Um, but <laughs> let's say I send him a longer one, hypothetically, and he's like, I'm just going to start in the middle. And he starts reading, and, he sa- and I write to him, and I say, so wasn't that really funny when that happened? LOL. 
Um, this is like, yeah, oh, wait. Because if he goes back and reads, let's say, remember the time I punched you in the face? Wasn't that funny? <laughs> and he doesn't take the time to, like, read what happened before. He just starts reading right there. He's like, yeah, that was pretty funny. Can we do that again? You always make examples of that. Punching you in the face? Yeah, he did it like five times. Really. <laughs> I know. Actually, I think he's usually kicking you in the face. Yeah, I have pent up aggression toward you. I smile. The point is, these are letters written to people, and it's the same thing. Like, if we're going to start in the middle somewhere, let's see where it came from, because um, they have a way of thinking of how can I communicate something to these people. And so when we start in the middle, and we're just like, okay, let's apply what he writes here. Um, I think it's, we need to understand where we've come from here. Um, and especially in this case, it's really, really interesting because um, I want to read just right before that, the section right before it in most of these Bibles, it says, Faith in Deeds in, in 2.14. It says, What is good is it, my brothers, if man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed but knows nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Um, so this is where we're coming from before. He's talking about faith and deeds. He says, if you're not living out your faith, it's dead. It's not real. Same thing that John says in First John. If you, if you say that you're a child of God, but you don't act like it, you're a liar. He uses that word a lot, liar. Um, so that's what we have right before this. And then we get to chapter 3. It says... Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or we take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a, great for, what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures in the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. When with the tongue... We praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Basically what he's saying for Christians, um, using the, the tree example, can an orange tree have apples on it? No, that's dumb. <laughs> uh, it doesn't make sense. It is against nature. What he's saying is you can't praise God and, and use your tongue to destroy people. And the reason, you know, <laughs> my, my general tendency is when we come to a, a book like this is to go to the faith and deeds section because for me this is like an obsession with me is like figuring out how those go together um, because there's a lot of different circumstances and things that have happened in my life it's really important for me to understand that and be able to communicate that because I think it's the gospel. So I got to this book and I was like, oh, this is so important. And then in chapter one, it's talking about trials and suffering. That's really important to me too. But then I was looking at this and I was like, chapter three is so important because it's so easy to forget. 
And even though I wanted to do those other parts, I was like, we really got to look at chapter 3. Because I think of all the things that are in this book, this is what we all struggle with the most. And he says, you know, like, consider what a small spark can do. It can set a whole forest on fire, and so many people destroy their lives with their tongue. Uh, He says, we have to tame our tongues, and it is so hard to do so. Don't praise God one minute and curse people the other. Don't yell at your your brother or sister. Don't do this. And really, it's, it's just so true. I think more than anything else in the world, even more than eyes, more than than things that we do, our tongue can get us in so much trouble. And this is, I guess, my encouragement to you. Like, I don't have necessarily a lot of practical advice except for to, to think about this, think on this, watch what you say, because we will be held accountable for the things that we say, um, the things that we say and do. This is so important. Think yourself this week as an application. Just remember as you're going through your day say what before you start to do something before you start to say something just stop and say is this right is this good um, and part of this too is is just the language that we use you know I've had a couple people in the youth group say why is it bad to swear um, and, and the answer is probably much more long and complicated when I give it than you're expecting because most people are like, don't swear. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah. Um, because, really, a lot of it is defined by our culture. The, the words that we consider bad are, are defined by our culture. Um, but, but, the Bible says, um, it says, put off all filthy language and coarse jesting. And he says, why, after that? He said, Paul writes this um, in Ephesians and Colossians, I think. The answers are in the Bible. Um, and he says, put off coarse jesting and coarse joking and foul language and all this stuff. He says, why? He says, because as Christians, we should be known for our thankfulness. And that's really what it's about. Remember my whole removing, replacing? What? What's the reference? Oh, I knew you were going to ask that. I can tell you later. There's Ephesians. It's in Ephesians and Colossians. There's two parts that say it. I think the one I'm referencing specifically is Ephesians, but I should have written it down. I did not. Um, he says we should be known for our thankfulness. And you know my whole removing, replacing thing. You can't just remove something and not replace it. And the whole point is that when we use language like that, are you going to hell because you swore? No. Are you saying a word that maybe someone else might not even consider to be a bad word in another culture? You know, maybe. But the whole point is that he says, you should not be known for that. Okay? He says, think about this. Um, Think about what you're known for. Why are you even using those words in the first place? Whether it is what we consider swear words, uh, whether it's yelling at someone because you're angry, just, just take the time to think, why am I doing this? Why am I using this word? Am I swearing because I want to do it, because I'm frustrated, and I feel like I'm going to feel better if I say what I know to be a bad word? Or am I saying it to a person because I know if I use this word instead of another one, they're going to take me more seriously? Really look at your motives. Why are you using that language? Is it to be cool? Is it to be... Whatever. You know, some people, for some people, they're just like, you know, I don't even think about it. It's for emphasis. Emphasis, exactly. I, I think you can do it for emphasis. 
inappropriate time. Inappropriate time. Perhaps. <laughs> Which would be very easy. Well, I, yeah. Perhaps not. <laughs> what I'm saying is, like, let's think about why we're doing this, why we're saying this stuff. Sam, this has absolutely nothing to do with relevance. Okay, remember? Okay, I'm going to <laughs> rid myself of, of my feeling. I'm thinking about what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Remember what we said about okay. thinking and then speaking? That's exactly what we're talking about right now. Okay? The whole point is think before you speak. And I didn't mean to turn this into this whole thing on, on swearing or not swearing. But <laughs> no, I think this is important because I think more than anything else, it's probably what most of you struggle with in here. And it's not even just words that are considered bad, like swear words. And I'm not—I don't want this to turn into a lecture. Don't swear. The lecture is think about what you say. Okay, I'm not going to say you know me. I never say don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's so self-defeating. What I'm telling you is fill your mouth with thanksgiving. That's what the Bible says. It's not all about what you're not supposed to do. It says, fill it up with thankfulness. And when you start thinking about that, and and you're thankful for your life, you're thankful for what's going on, then your heart changes. And and your... Yeah, thank you. Your heart changes. And then that natural clean water, not the salty water, comes out. But beware, because James says it's so hard to tame the tongue, and you have to work at it. It's not just going to happen that one day you're going to wake up and you're not going to want to yell at people and you're not going to want to swear anymore. Um, so to tell you the truth, most of you, if you don't swear, it's probably cultural. You grew up and your parents are like, don't say that word, don't say this, you know, whatever. And that, that is, does not excuse you from thinking, from saying, you know what, it's not about just taking this away. What am I going to fill my mouth with? Am I just going to say little, like, close swear words, like, oh my gosh, darn it. Dang it. <laughs> Dang it. Dang it. You know, like, all this stuff. What, what is really, it's just the same problem. You're not thinking about what you're saying. Yeah, what? Right, that's what I'm saying. Don't just remove, replace. Like, you don't just take that stuff away. You're supposed to be filled up with something. If you just take this stuff away, you're an empty person. You're not saying anything. Usually, it's like I'm yelling or on the verge of Lizard on the floor. Yeah, like, that's <laughs> not that that's ever happened. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. And that's what James is saying about the, in this whole book. Even from when he starts, he says, Consider pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. That's what I'm talking about here. It's like, this is not just a standalone, let's read chapter 3, get something from it. James is saying, 
You need to be changed. You need to change everything. The tongue is important. The deeds are important. Don't show, show favoritism to people. Like He talks about so many things, and he's always coming back to that same point, that it's not just about saying you're a Christian and going on with your life. It's about living a changed life with a changed heart. That's what it's about. And then, so what James is saying here is, I think what we tend to be is like, okay, James says, I've got to have works. I'm going to do the works. I'm going to do the works. It's going to be good. I'm going to be a good person. Well, you read Paul, and he's, you know, he's on that other side that's easy to fall into, where you're like, okay, well, uh, I don't need to do anything, so I'm not. <laughs> and so the problem is we're, we're trying to stay in that middle ground where we're doing the good things, but we haven't turned it into legalism. Legalism is where you put the list of rules, and you're like, I'm going to do this, and I do this, and I do this, and it makes me a good person. No, James is not saying that. Paul is not saying that either. What they're saying is have a changed heart and do things out of gratitude. And what John is saying in First John, he says, if you're not doing this, John, First John is just goes straight to my heart. And to all of, I'm so glad we're studying on Friday. Because he is like, don't deceive yourselves. If you don't follow God's commands and you say you're a Christian, you're a liar. If you say that you're without sin, you're a liar. Because no one's perfect. If you live a life of sin, continuing to sin, and you say you're a child of God, you're a liar. He doesn't mince his words. He says, look at your lives. If you don't see a changed heart, if you don't see your life change, and you're calling yourself a Christian, you're a liar. And you know what? I hope this shakes you up. If you are not sure, and you're like, you know what? I don't really feel different than my friends. I don't see any real difference. I've never felt really changed in my heart. I don't really treasure Jesus. And I want you to ask yourself, what what reason do you honestly really have to think that you're a Christian? If you truly believe that Jesus died, died for you, and he was the Son of God, and he rose again, and you have eternal life in God, what is that going to do to your heart and your life? Um, and I, you know, I run the risk of making some of you who are Christians be like, oh, maybe I'm not. You know what? You can look, and you, I, I think there is assurance in the Bible about that. But if you're not sure, if you're wondering, you know, I haven't seen that heart change. I am angry all the time or, you know, whatever it is. You know, it's a process. But I want you to question. I think it's good for me. There, there are lots of times when I'm reading stuff in the Bible and I'm like, am I really a Christian? And I think it can be healthy to look at yourself and assess and not just assume. Uh, because... We should be grown. We should be knowing Him. We should be changed. And if we're not, John, First John especially, and James, you look at them, and they, it has a lot to say about that. He says, don't, don't be a liar. If you're not a Christian, don't call yourself one. Be realistic with yourself. If you are, act like it. Be one. But it's not that you're earning it. You're not going to be good. It's just the response from a changed heart. It's thankfulness. It's joy. It's all those things. Um, so we've gone ridiculously over let's pray <laughs> God thank you so much for today the book of James is so important it's easy to forget it's easy to look over it because we don't think it's really for us um, bring it to our hearts and God for those of us who are Christians here bring comfort and assurance to our hearts and if there are, you know God who is, is yours and who is not who are your children and we ask that um, that you would make it clear to us who we are inside that we would see 
that we would take seriously who you are, um, that you were the Son of God, Jesus, that you sacrificed for us. Um, help us to look at our lives and really assess what is important, to look at our lives with eternal eyes, to see what is really worth it, to consider the cost and choose to follow you. And we ask that you give us strength and grace to do so because we are not perfect people. But we want to please you. We want to, to be more like Jesus. Amen.